Today's episode of Art of the Cut is sponsored by ncrawl.com. ncrawl is the web-based platform for managing and rendering end credits, used by over 1,000 film productions, including 42 films at this year's Sundance 2020 Film Festival. Sign up today at ncrawl.com slash AOTC. Hello and welcome to Art of the Cut's Voices from Sundance. My name is Steve Holfish. I'm a film editor and I interview my colleagues in film and TV. Today's voice from Sundance is with Emthamiri and Kemi. Our discussion today is about the Sundance comedy short, The Devil's Harmony, which won the Jury Award for International Short Fiction. I interviewed Nkemi a few months ago for his feature films The Last Tree and Blue Story. His unique editing approach has also led to work editing the UK series The Pale Horse based on Agatha Christie's novel by the same name. You've edited features and BBC dramas. Why cut a short film? I guess it's an opportunity for me to get the chance to work with a new director. Um, I really like and really enjoy the process of working with uh, uh, new talent and new up-and-coming uh, voices. And so I guess uh, if I hear about projects and it's being made and the director sounds interesting, the project sounds interesting, then I'll definitely consider it, uh, even if it's a, whether it's a short or a feature. Mm-hmm. And is it, does it just get you time in the seat? Like, that's another part of this, right, is just man, I, I just want to work. <laughs> yeah, 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 hugely. I, I just, I mean, I love editing, so I'm going to do as much as I can to just make sure I'm editing as much as, as much as possible. Yeah, that's great. Um, this seems to be very different from other stuff you've cut. Talk to me about editing variety and maybe trying to avoid typecasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hugely. I think it's, I, just, I feel like it's so important for me to avoid doing one thing for the rest of my life. I think um, I started out uh, doing commercials and was doing that for like a year and realized that the, the editors that I was assisting were, you know, at one point they wanted to do kind of long form stuff and 40 years down the line with a mortgage and, you know, wife and children, it just didn't work out. Uh, and so it was, it was very, it's like a lesson for me to, to make sure that I'd, I'd make sure to, to keep doing different things and different kinds of t- kinds of projects. This film is really funny and it also feels very precise. The composition of the shots is really stylized yes. yeah, yeah. and just like razor sharp to me. How did that style of shooting affect the editing i think quite a lot actually dylan the director is a very he has a he has a very specific taste and a, a kinds of uh uh like uh shots and stuff that he that he likes and so in the edit it was about building a sense of that world and making sure that world felt consistent and it was a, its own unique thing that uh that uh, stayed consistent from the beginning of the film to the end of the film did you guys talk or did he ask you to look at other films? Did you look at his other films before you edited this? Yeah, we definitely talked about references uh, and talked about projects like uh, The Lobster, for example, like Yorgos Lanthimos. That was definitely a big, that kind of, from performance uh, and also from uh, just visually, I think that was that was a big reference for Dylan. Um, yeah, it's definitely about creating, creating its own kind of unique world and so films that, that do that kind of, successfully was what what he was going for uh, what did you temp with it went it was very varied actually uh there was some it went and it also went through a lot of different iterations so there was some there was some pop song pop songs in there there was obviously the the film um revolves around this acapella group so that was a that was a harmony that was uh created by the composer in advance of the shoot um so we had that definitely right from the beginning um yeah, but then, oh, there was a lot of uh, the score from You Were Never Really Here. I'm struggling to remember the composer's name now, but there was a lot, a lot of that in there, a lot of sort of sound design-y type, type music. Tell us 
for because so many so few, so few people will have seen this film. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about uh, what it's about. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, kind of a weird, <laughs> weird surreal drama about a an a cappella group in a high school who uh, discover if they sing at a certain frequency, they can sing people basically into a coma and they start wreaking havoc on the rest of the school. I really loved um, the the production design and art direction was really cool because yeah, the, the the bad guys are all in white, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, and the, the heroes are all in black. It's very it's very <laughs> funny. Uh, and again, the composition is just spectacular. Yeah, super distinctive. Yeah, really well shot. Tell me, uh, were there any structural changes in the film from the script? Yeah, hugely. The film actually went through uh, quite a big... Um, series of structural changes um i think because it's such a ambitious film and, and so complicated to uh make sense of there's only so many different characters and uh, you've got this main kind of sort of love storyline going on but then also you can explain the world and uh the different parts of the world and um and i think we it meant it just meant us going through a lot of different versions uh a lot there's a lot of back and forth between me and the director going, how about, how about this way? How about we do this here? How about this scene here? Um, and then the director would go, go away and then they did, I think there were two different reshoots. We were like, okay, well, this this part of the film makes sense, but this middle bit is still a bit confusing. Let's get that over. And then I think it wasn't until uh, quite close to the end of the edit that we cracked the idea of having a voiceover. That wasn't in the script at all. Um, and that came in very, really, really late. Um, just to give you a sense of understanding the main character and the mo- her motivations and uh, kind of following the thread of, of why she's doing this. That was realizing that we needed that to be super obvious so you'd have the opportunity to enjoy all the rest of the film. Was, Does the film start with the main character speaking directly to camera? Or is there, yeah. Uh, you know, well, she else. speaks directly to the audience, but you're just hearing her voice. How did you um, meet this director and get the gig? Um, so I met the director actually a few years before we did this. He is actually also an editor. So we met on a commercial project at well, I can't remember now, but I think either he was handing over to me or or I was handing over to him. Um, then sort of really hit off, and, uh, and then a few years later, he, was t- he told me that he contacted me, telling me he was making this directing a short, and I was really excited about it. If uh, that guy is a director, mm-hmm. uh, why did he feel like he needed another uh, editor on the project? I think he felt uh, really strongly that he wanted um, another set of eyes and another brain to bounce off of. I think that was the it's probably one of the most collaborative projects I've worked on where he'd actually, he would do some editing, we'd, we'd, have, we'd sit next to each other with laptops and he'd cut on one scene and cut on another scene and then we'd share and review each other's work and, and, and discuss, oh, maybe that bit's interesting, but how about we use that shot that's in that other thing? It's a very, really, really collaborative project. Um, I want to get back to the structural changes mm. because just if you can remember, can you remember any specifics like why things changed or... Um, why you found, oh, this this scene needs to go someplace else or maybe a scene has to get taken out? Mm-hmm. Um, it was mostly about making sure that the film made sense to to an audience who didn't understand anything about it and that they could have a... There was a through line in terms of uh, the character, the main character's motivations and how she felt at the beginning of the film versus how she felt at the end of the film and making sure that arc was really clear and those turning points in, in her... Uh, in her arc were really clear. So there was a scene in, in the middle of the film where she is kind of feeling a bit uneasy about whether or not she should keep doing this. Um, and there's a scene where she's in, I think, a locker room, kind of discussing with the rest of her, of her group. And then the 
gym teacher walks in and doesn't notice them and starts I think I think he starts changing in the background and it was a really really funny scene it just kept going on for ages and ages and you'd see him like singing to himself as he like changed into his gym gear and the uh the acapella group and the main character would just sit there like watching him like really awkwardly uh and it was it was really really funny um but then it just it just, it just was ruining the flow of the film and was throwing off oh what, what does she actually feel about uh about what about what they're doing at this point in the film yeah, I would think, especially with short films, you got to be on that th- that train, and the train just yes. has to keep going. Yes, exactly. I mean, a bigger film yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 it would have the space, I think, in a, in a longer-form version of this. But I've had people see the um, outtakes or mm-hmm. you know deleted scenes of films I've cut, and they're like, why would you delete that? I'm <laughs> yes, like, yeah, yeah. you got to see it in the context of the <laughs> yes. whole film. The Completely. scene by itself is great. Completely, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll be back in a moment with more of my interview with the Devil's Harmony editor, Anthemiri and Kemi. I'm really excited to have Ncrawl as a sponsor. If you've ever been through the end credits process in Final Post, you already know why someone had to create this product. What's interesting, though, is how they went about it. Their cloud render engine turns around preview renders in minutes and 2K and 4K renders in about half an hour. The Ncrawl render engine is on demand 24-7, so even if you're in a late-night editing session, you can sign into your project, fix that typo, and add that late-breaking special thanks, and with one click, get your new render fast. And here's the best part. Renders are unlimited. Ncrawl has a freemium tier, and they offer free personal demo projects to all working industry professionals. Right now, there's actually a wait list, but if you sign up now with our special link, you can jump to the front of the line. That's ncrawl.com slash AOTC. Again, that's ncrawl.com slash AOTC. And now back to my interview with the Devil's Harmony editor, Anthemiri Nkemi. Um, why was Premiere the choice of NLE for this film? Um, I think initially it came out of just what the director was comfortable using because it, it was going to be so such a collaborative project and he was very comfortable with Premiere um, and so we decided that was be the best uh, choice because then we could work back and forth and send projects back and forth to each other. Um, so it was about, I guess it was about that collaboration and then also um, just the flexibility Premiere has with uh, sending stuff into After Effects and trying out sort of, we had, there was a scene where we had someone cross frame and we created a transition in, in After Effects having sort of silhouette cross frame and it was really easy to, like, to just uh, put that kind of stuff in and then send it back and send it over to the director to see what he thought and work like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. So you use After Effects too? In a, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you jump back and forth. The last time you and I talked, you were on Avid. Uh, when you switch to another editing application, what's what are some things you miss in Premiere? I mean, I think what I really love about Premiere is how just just flexible it is and, and and the opportunity to be able to work in in Photoshop and After Effects and send stuff back and forth and not be not be tied down into okay, I have to export this now and then put this into uh this project and and then I have to go if I wanna redo it then I have to go back and then redo it in the other projects and export it again. I think just having that kind of freedom um just opens opens me up to be able to be really creative, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, especially on called short form projects where a lot of stuff's moving around and um, I need to be really flexible. It, it comes in quite useful. I, I think for a lot of people, and especially um, younger editors mm-hmm. too, there's there's a sense that you know, like whatever I want to edit this in, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, nobody I mean, yeah. people are much less uh, dedicated to a single NLE, mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, I want to know how to edit in Premiere, and I want to yeah, know how yeah, to yeah, edit yeah. in Avid, so mm-hmm. I can jump to those projects. Yeah, completely. And and also, I think. Um, 
like with Dylan being uh, a director but not, and also an editor I found I find a lot of new directors I work with I have at least of some bit of some knowledge in, in Premiere so it means it just allows us to be, to be able to speak the same language and yeah do you have any advice on cutting comedy I still don't think I have an answer for this. <laughs> I, I um, tell you, this is a very funny film, and I think the timing, <laughs> your timing in this is just spot on. I think I think it's about the keeping in mind the rhythm of the whole film. Um, I think that's something I learned in cutting this and also other com- uh, projects that are that have comedy in them is just uh, keeping in mind when the audience, when you want the audience to laugh and. Uh, and how much time there is between that and then the next laugh and kind of realising that there is, like, like you said earlier, it is a train uh, mm. and once you're on that, hopefully if people buy into it, then they're going to follow that through to the end of the film uh, but making sure that all the stops along the way are <laughs> as funny as, as the last. Yeah, I think a lot of times, especially with some of the the lead character mm-hmm. in this, mm-hmm. you it's like any other editing where you're like, I want to be on her as long as I can until oh, yes. the shot has served its purpose, yes. and then I'm off. Completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's I think a lot of the timing comes from that, where you're just, it's those kind of uncomfortable pauses yes. that last just right, yes. right, and boom, and, and you're off to the yeah. next one. And that's part of creating the world of the film, I think. It was, it was uh, this is the world, and these, this is the kind of humor we have in this world. Like, it's not uh, necessarily slapstick. It's in that uncomfortable pause that the character says after a line. That and that and that is where the the joke happens. One of the timing things that I thought of was there's a couple of real high angle shots mm-hmm. of like a cafeteria with a bunch of bodies laying around, yes. right? And those shots last a while. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And so like yeah, if you give the audience time to then to read the shot and you're listening to the voiceover and then slowly you're starting to go, oh, that's a there's a body just lying there. And then, <laughs> and you, then you notice, oh wait, there's a body lying over there as well. It's kind of and nobody yeah. cares. Yes, yes. Everybody's yeah, yeah, just yeah, letting yeah. it go. Uh, yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> Um, for new editors, uh, talk about the types of projects that you've worked on mm-hmm. coming out of film school and how they've led you to Sundance and cutting feature films. Yeah, um, it's been a big variety of films, actually. Uh, when, after I graduated um, from film school, I worked on a project called, a feature called The Last Tree, uh, which premiered at Sundance, actually, this time last year, uh, today. <laughs> um, uh, and then after that, I did a project uh, called Blue Story um, that uh, was released, I'm trying to remember now, in November, November 2019. I think we had our UK release. Um, and then kind of in between that, I've also been doing uh, a bunch of different shorts and, uh, and then also t- a television project that I just finished. Mm-hmm. Um, we, t- we touched on it a little bit, mm-hmm. but I wanted you to just talk about the value of working with a bunch of different directors you've done a ton of shorts and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just getting in front of people and doing the work is going to advance your career and advance your skills yeah hugely i think getting in that chair and just working on as many projects as possible and building up that experience and but also the uh the network you have with all these different directors i um just earlier today i bumped into uh one of the programmers for the festival and he was like oh didn't weren't you here last year <laughs> how many years have you been in the sundance now and it's just and this is quite nice because i have had the opportunity they've all been different projects with different directors and i just had the opportunity to work on uh all these different kinds of films and just learn so much from doing it uh, and i think we talked about this in our last interview and and this is another way another thing that it helps with mm-hmm. especially i think is just the social oh, usually, aspect yeah, yes. talk to me just a little mm-hmm. bit about what what you've learned or what it takes to be an editor that is then in demand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think um, 
I think it's so important to learn just all of that. Apart from the the whole technical side, it's just also the social side of of interacting and collaborating with different uh, uh, not just directors but also the producers and you know everyone else involved in the team and and the the editor realizing I realized uh, quite early on that the editor is the person who um, is kind of putting all these different threads together and then forming something that hopefully then everyone is happy with uh, and. And like working on these, all these different kinds of projects allows me to kind of have the experience of working with different kinds of teams, different kinds of directors. So, for example, with the Devil's Harmony, Dylan working with Dylan's like super collaborative, and we're you know discussing each shot and the length of each shot, and it's really really specific and uh, and to the point. Um, but then also I work with directors who will give me notes and then go away for a few days and then come back and review and then just give me notes on, on what I've done. Um, and just understanding the diff- these different personalities and how to best translate their vision in- into the film and realise how, what to give of yourself in order to do that, I think, has been really useful. And I've also had the experience that different directors have different, like, pet things that they do and don't like. like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Never mm-hmm. cut on action, always yes. cut on action. Yes, 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 yes. Are there any of those things that you can think of with the variety of directors that you've worked mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, i got to get my head into this guy's space because he likes never cutting between sentences or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are some and of those just things? Remembering that, keeping that in mind, like I, I worked on a, an animation film as one of my graduation films from film school uh, and it was a really, really great project and really great collaboration with the director um, but I'd totally forgotten about what it was like working with him um, and we just, uh, well, currently actually doing a commercial together and I put in some temp music and he was like, oh, the mirror, you know I don't like temp music. <laughs> I was like, oh yes, of course. You're, you're the person who, you know, would rather we use like custom made stuff and uh, that was all unique to the project rather than you know using temp from somewhere else. And it's just those kind of things that trying to uh, make sure that you have in mind when working with different directors and yeah, like the stuff they like and also the stuff they don't like. Yeah, temp music is one of those big things yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, some yeah. people mm-hmm. can't imagine seeing a scene without it, and some people can't. You know, please don't, yes, yeah, don't yeah, ruin yeah, yeah, it yeah, for yeah, me. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, those are really interesting. Any other things you can think of like that? Like, what about this director? What were some of the things that this director? Uh, liked specifically? Um, I mean, I know Dylan really loved... Um, Any time I found it, I found kind of a little moment that wasn't... that w- kind of wasn't wasn't scripted, wasn't shot, <laughs> wasn't uh, shot on purpose even. Uh, and I'd pull those bits out and then show him, oh, what if we start the scene with this, like, thing here? And then he'd go, oh, no, that's, <laughs> that's really great. Like, yeah, we'll definitely do that. And, I mean, there's, like, small things, like... Um, there's a there's a shot in the film where we see the main character opening a locker, but we uh, it's, it was like storyboarded to be done in a certain way, and then I was like, oh, what if we actually just use the bit that's from the inside uh, in this shot that wasn't before the action started, and that ended up being in the film. Kind of, I guess it's kind of those small moments that he really enjoyed that felt like it was kind of a unusual way of of a less traditional way of, of making a film, I guess, and of of, of the film playing out. Last question mm-hmm. for you, and, and you might not remember this because I think you said this was shot in 2018, 2018 or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a really nice sequence fairly early in the film that sets up that the the glee club, you know, mm-hmm. the acapella yes. group people yeah, are yeah. kind of teased by the jock type people. Yes, yes. And mm-hmm. she kind of walks down a hallway, and I, th- I think there's some slow-mo in yes, there, and yeah, there's and some the, great the, sound yeah. design. Yeah, yeah, talk yeah, to me yeah, about yeah. building that, and talk to me about the value of using sound design mm-hmm. to, to tell a story. Yeah, it was a huge. That that was actually one of the scenes that uh, was really collaborative because um, we knew we wanted to have a scene that wasn't in the script that built a sense of 
okay, this is the character and this is the issue that she has. Um, and these are the characters that are kind of antagonists that are against her. Um, and we had this material of her walking down this corridor that was supposed to be used for one thing. And then we had these kind of uh, dream sequences of her being attacked by them, uh, being locked inside of one, one of the rooms where they throw tennis balls at her. Uh, I mean, we knew we had these different elements. And then it was a case, and they're all, I think most of them were shot in slow motion because the director likes shooting, uh, Dylan likes shooting a lot of stuff in slow motion just so we have the opportunity to play with it more in the edit. Um, and so it was a case of, okay, how do we, how do we put this stuff together in a way that, that gives, gives you that, that energy and that sense of, okay, this is what the character's going through. Um, and because, I mean, as we've discussed before, I like hugely love sound design and using sound design as, as part of the storytelling. Um, really, really early on in the edit, it was, it was a case of going, okay, let's see if we can take this, this line from this character and actually put it under this shot. Uh, and that'll give, that'll give us a sense of, uh, the, the combination of the picture and that sound, even though they're from different places, will give you a sense of um, the characters feeling this, or you know, uh, and stuff like that. And it was a case of build, building up, building up that slowly through all these kind of disparate elements. Yeah, because I think that mm-hmm. sequence is from her point of view. It's, yes. it's her imagining or remembering, yes, feel, yeah, 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 feeling yeah. walking down the hall. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's about creating that really sort of visceral experience, but using all these kind of shots that hadn't been, kind of repurposing all these shots and all these bits of sound uh, to create this like one moment. And Thierry, it's been great talking to you. Thank you, you so too, much you for uh, so joining much. me again. All right. Thanks for listening to Art of the Cuts Voices from Sundance podcast. Also, check out ProVideoCoalition.com for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven, curated experience. Thanks again to my guest, Amthamiri and Kemi. I'm Steve Hallfish. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, give us a review on your favorite podcasting platform so others can find us. Then follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Hallfish. And make sure to tell a filmmaking or film-loving friend.